Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My JavaScript Story. This week, we're talking to Chris Ferdinandi. Chris, do you want to say hi? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, everyone. Now, I usually, uh, at this point, say, Chris was on this episode of JavaScript Jabber, but you're one of our panelists, so you've been on a lot of them. I have, yeah. It's been uh, it's a lot of fun. Yep. Um, before we get started, why don't you just uh, go through the story of how you got on the show? Yeah, uh, which one on JS Jabber or yeah? yeah. So um, I uh, I came on to talk about vanilla JavaScript and why it's awesome. And um, I think AJ was um, was maybe looking for someone to have his back and more of the arguments on the show. So um, <laughs> yes, he reached out and asked me if I'd want to come on full time, which I was certainly happy to do. Um, and uh, yeah, and now him and I kind of have each other's back when conversations veer towards tooling and frameworks and things like that. You must have a framework. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's been a really fun experience. We get to chat with a lot of cool people, which is, which is great. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. You know what I should do is I should have Ryan Florence come on because he's been an advocate of you must have a framework for a long time. And oh, like, that would be so a fun argument. <laughs> it would be really interesting just to see what points get made. Yeah, no, I would, I would love that. We should definitely do that. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, we're actually going to dive into your story, your coding journey. So um, Perfect. Let's, let's go back a little bit further and let's talk about how you got into code. Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, I started my career as an HR guy. So I am um, senior year in college. Yeah, right. Well, so I'm, I'm, I'm reformed. I didn't, I didn't realize why people found HR so irritating until I got out of it. And then like, I'm like, oh, yeah, this, yeah, I get it now. But, um, and I know, I still know, I know tons of great people who still work in the field, but um, I'm happy that I'm not one of them anymore. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I, I have a degree in anthropology and senior year in college, I realized I had no desire to actually do anthropology. Like I, I like my home and I don't like travel. Um, and, uh, and so I, I kind of fell into human resources. I got an internship in it. Uh, my dad had been an HR guy and he's like, Oh, I think you really like it. And I liked it like more than, I don't know, flipping burgers or anything else I could do. Um, otherwise. So I, um, I kind of, I did that for a few years and um, as part of that role, um, we had been, I, I eventually found myself in the learning and development organization or like a training organization. And um, at the time, online training, well, I guess even still today, but like a lot of online training is still these really boring, like 
hour and a half long. We recorded a webinar and talk over it and you can't leave your screen and you just kind of have to watch the whole thing and then take a quiz at the end kind of stuff. And my manager and I were like, there's got to be like a cooler way to do this. Like you've got like YouTube is a thing now. Like this just, this sucks. It's like really unengaging for the kind of the current climate and how people learn. So we started tossing around ideas for a new type of kind of educational platform that was maybe more like um, what you see with a lot of um, kind of basically the way people learn code today through like video courses and things, you know, like, um, like a team treehouse or like the type of stuff that I or Wes Boss does like these like, you know, short little videos and then you go do something practical and then you come back to them and you can kind of look at them whenever you want. Um, and so we had tossed around all these crazy ideas and we're like, all right, let's, let's throw together like a quick prototype. And um, we, uh, we reached out to, um, neither of us having any idea what we were doing, we reached out to an agency and they're like, oh yeah, we can do that. It'll be half a million dollars. We're like, oh yeah, that's, that's kind of a lot of money for just, yeah. like, we're just playing around with this prototype. So then we went to our internal IT department and they're like, oh yeah, we can do it. It'll be $200,000 and it'll take over a year. And these things you wanted to do, we probably can't build it that way. So we're like, all right, well, that's, that's not gonna, that's not gonna work either. Um, and uh, so then my, my manager looked at me and he's like, well, can, can you do it? And I was like, well, no. He's like, well, can you learn? And I was like, I don't know. Let me, let me find out. Um, so I had been, um, up to this point, I had been writing an HR blog called Renegade HR, which is no longer on the web. But I had, um, I had wanted to customize the look and feel of it a bit more. So I started hacking around with the CSS and the HTML. And it was a WordPress blog. So I was kind of like, fumbling my way through PHP a little bit at the time. Right. And um, which is why he thought I maybe in some wild world might actually be able to do this. But right. um, You're a code genius, you can do CSS. Yeah, right. So I, um, uh, I, I spent a ton of time digging through Stack Overflow and I eventually got this like really terribly coded, like rough prototype working. And it was the most difficult and exciting thing I had ever done in my career up to that point. And I was hooked mm -hmm. at that point. I'm like, I do not want to do HR anymore. This is exhilarating. This is all I want to do with my career for the rest of it. Like this, this right. is so much fun. Um, and I think I've talked a little bit on JS Jabber before about how I really like working or I like making things, but I suck at working with my hands. Mm -hmm. I like woodworking, I, I'm horrible, like plumbing and metal work, but like with code, I can literally make things that you can interact with from nothing. And, and like, for me, that's really, really exciting. Um, so at that point, I immediately started kind of pursuing this path of wanting to move into a career in web development. And that was kind of the end of my HR career for me. It took about two, two and a half years after that. But um, my manager asking me this one ridiculous question was what really started my whole career in web development. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. It's funny because um, like when I got into programming, it was on a TI-85 calculator. I was like 14. And then, you know, I took electronics classes. I took uh, programming classes and hardware classes in college because I have a computer engineering degree, not a computer science degree. Mm -hmm. So it was much more focused on the hardware. And I did IT in college and I thought that was the direction I was going to go. And honestly, I thought programming was dumb. Right. <laughs> And then, yeah, I get in to my first job out of college and I'm running a tech support department and we, we go to the, the CEO and we're like, we need some software to manage our workload. And he looked at us and said, that's nice. 
<laughs> All right. And that sounds like, pretty, yeah. No, you're, you're, you're supposed to get us one. <laughs> and uh, he, he said, no, we, we don't have money for that. So we built one. And all of a sudden, programming came alive for me. And it's the same kind of thing, right? It's, yeah. It's, oh, yeah. No, I actually do want to do this for the rest of my life. So, yeah. And there are plenty of times where it would have made more sense to just buy or use something off the shelf. But, um, oh, I'm terrible at this. <laughs> but, but being able to, like, make the thing yeah. that you want, like, this thing I want doesn't exist, or it exists, but not exactly the way I want it. And, like, being able to then. Yeah. Go. And I understand, like, at various points in your career, like, you're not at that point. Like, earlier on, I couldn't really make things the way I wanted. But, like, at this point, um, it's just so nice to be able to go and, like, build the thing I want to then go turn around and work with. And I've done this in so many, like, situations yeah. now. Like, with my ebooks uh, that I sell, I, um, there's a whole ton of different options you can use to create those ebooks, but none of them worked exactly the way I wanted. So I just went ahead and built my own thing that takes my markdown files and turns them into PDFs and EPUBs and things like that. And, um, you know, it's just, it's such a like cool place to be. Um, I liken it to like my grandfather's been a carpenter his whole life and um, he just, he builds all sorts of things for himself. He's even like joked, but I don't think he's really kidding about building his own coffin. Like he's a complete, you know, he's a complete nut. But um, yeah, I, for me, it's just being able to, uh, to make the things I want to use is, is yeah. a really fun part of this career. Yeah, absolutely. And we're doing that right now um, at devchat.tv. We're building our own um, podcast management, management platform. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, it makes sense. We have enough. Out, yeah, there's nothing out there that does what I want. So, yeah. And it's probably insane. And I keep having people say, oh, but there's this other thing. And some of them have been close. I just yeah. didn't know about them before, but yeah, none of them are quite there. So every time I do it, I, I always look back and I'm like, this maybe would have been faster with something off the shelf. Like even like, um, you know, people who access or get my video courses, they need a place to watch them. And there's so many kind of off the rack educational platforms, but none of them do exactly what I want to do. They don't have the user right. experience I want. Um, and so I built my own and it took a while, but I'm really happy I did. So you need to sell that too. Yeah, maybe, but then I have to maintain it. Like now if it breaks, I could just slap some duct tape on it and I call it a day, you know? It's a different kind of thing when you turn around and sell it. Yeah, the, the, the entrepreneur's dilemma, I guess. Yeah. Or one of them. Anyway, so, so you get in, you start building uh, web applications. Um, I'm curious, how did you wind up getting your first coding job then? Uh, so um, uh this one probably involves a story too. So as part of my learning um, and education gig in human resources, um, one of my primary focuses was on um, what are often called, called soft skills. So rather than like technical training, I was right. doing um, uh, you know, communication skills and things like that. But a big part of what I did was teaching career development to software developers. And so as part of that, it was, teaching people things like how to write a resume and how to figure out what your next career thing is going to be and um, how to find job openings and how to get hired. And so it worked out really, really nicely that when I decided I didn't want to do HR anymore, I had for like a year and a half been teaching people how to do all the stuff that I then needed to go and do. Um, so um, it was a lot of conversations. I had originally looked internally and was just not finding anything that really worked for me in the company I was in. Um, uh, it was one of those situations where 
for all of the interesting work, they turned to outside agencies and stuff, which is just really not where I wanted to be. Um, so then I started networking. <laughs> a lot of companies do that. Yeah, you know, like it's just, it's, it's not a core thing of theirs. Like they have a marketing site, um, but they didn't really, like they're not building, uh, the company I worked at didn't build like a web product that needed an right. active team managing it. Um, it was in the hardware space at that point. So, um, and software was becoming a thing, but it wasn't really kind of a core skill set of mm -hmm. like the time. So um, uh, I ended up, um, basically everywhere I went and every time I talked to other web developers, I just kind of casually mentioned the fact that I was looking for, um, kind of looking for a new role. Um, I made sure I had a lot of, um, and I understand this isn't a luxury everybody has. I was like, uh, you know, like a young without family developer, but like, you know, I had a very robust GitHub account after a while. I was constantly right. like anything I did, uh, no matter how good it was or bad as the case may be, I was putting it out there. Um, uh, I started writing about my web development stuff, but what really ended up doing it for me was I was at, um, I was at this web developer conference uh, in Providence, Rhode Island, um, artifact conference um, that, uh, uh, Jennifer Simmons and uh, a couple of other, sorry, Jennifer Robbins and a couple of other folks put or used to put on. Um, uh, they haven't run one in five years, uh, but it's literally the best conference I've ever been to. And I was sitting next to some guy and I, you know, I happened to mention that I was looking for a job. And, um, and he, uh, like three or four weeks later, emailed me. He like, he went to my, he remembered the URL for my site and he went there and he sent me an email and uh, <laughs> He's like, hey, so so we're hiring for like an entry level job, and you seem pretty like pretty interesting. Would you you know would you want to come in and talk about it? And uh, and I somehow um, somehow ended up um, actually passing the interview process and getting hired. Um, but I had been interviewing <laughs> for like a year and a half before then. Oh wow! Just and so what happened was I started off as like a CSS and HTML primarily guy with a little bit of PHP. And every interview I went on. So do you know JavaScript? So do you know JavaScript? So do you know JavaScript? And I didn't. Um, and after a while, I ended up just kind of deciding that that was something I needed to needed to shore up as part of my skill set, um, right? In order to get hired. Now, I fundamentally believe that people who have deep expertise in CSS and HTML, but not JavaScript, have really important roles at a lot of companies. But um, hiring managers don't always see it that way. And uh, you know, for me, it was just a pragmatic thing. Like I had to. Right had to get into JS to get the kind of job I wanted. Um, but it ended up working out really well for me now because JavaScript is kind of my primary focus and, uh, and it's really like a really exciting thing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I spent very little time at that company. Um, so I was at Constant Contact for six months and it is one of the most awesome organizations I've ever worked at. They had an incredible learning culture, um, huge focus on both formal and informal training. Every Friday they had like a lunch and learn series with like both internal and external speakers. It was just really, really cool. But um, it was just a horrific commute for me. And uh, um, about six months after that, um, some former contact from a different company reached out um, about some remote job for a company based out in California. And uh, and um, yeah, the remote jobs are nice. <laughs> and now that I'm working remote, I don't think I could ever, ever go back. Anytime a recruiter reaches out about like a, like a job and they're like, so, you know, you'd have to come into the office. And I was like, yeah, that's not going to work. I'm feral now. Like, I just can't, <laughs> I can't work in an office. I've been in the wild too long. It just doesn't work for me. Yeah. So 
are you in a job now or is the vanilla JS thing your full-time thing? Yeah. So I have, um, I have a day job, um, doing JavaScript, um, and you know, CSS and some other stuff. Um, but, um, uh, it's, uh, it's a pretty flexible role and I, um, I'm doing my, um, vanilla JavaScript education as kind of the, the side hustle that may hopefully eventually become the, the main hustle. Um, uh, but it's worked out pretty cool. It's uh, the business has been growing pr- pretty, uh, pretty well over the last year or so. So, um, so that's been exciting. Good deal. Yeah, yeah. I was just curious cause you said you're, you're feral and you could never go back to an office <laughs> and I'm feral. I could never go back to working for somebody, somebody else. They yeah. come in and tell me what to do. And I'd be like, yeah, go away. I've been, you know, the thing, the thing that's really kept me at my current day job is um, I've just had a string of amazing amazing managers who are really um really cool about the fact that work is a thing you produce and not like a place you are or like a like particular set of hours where you're in a physical spot so um you know it's been one of those situations where as long as work gets done and clients i'm working with are happy and etc like um they're happy and um super supportive and so um yeah, I, these days I don't, I just don't even really entertain like recruiter calls or anything. I have in my mind, the perfect setup. Um, so, which I, I'm incredibly, feel incredibly lucky with, but um, you know, if, uh, yeah. if a work from home thing is you can swing, uh, is something you can get your hands on, I highly recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not made for everybody, but man, if you can self-direct and you know, you can communicate well across internet media, mm-hmm. you're good. Yeah. You know, one of the other things that helps a lot. Um, so the, um, the company I'm at now is, uh, like almost everybody on my team is remote and mm-hmm. even the folks that are in office behave as if they are. So the primary form of communication is in a Slack channel. So like right. there's never this thing where if you're remote, you feel like you're missing out on this thing that happens in the office and conversations happen without you. Like everybody is kind of actively involved in everything. So, um, for me, the worst work from home experiences, cause I've done this at other companies too, are ones where work from home is kind of either an afterthought or a thing that only like a special few people get. Right. Whereas if, if everybody has access to it and it's like set up in a way that everybody can do it, um, it just seems to work out a lot better. Yep. Absolutely. Um, and, and I can attest to that. I won't go into any stories, but I have some horror stories and I have some success stories. So, yeah. yeah and I'm sorry, I've, I, Chuck, I've probably derailed us. I kind of went off on the deep end with this conversation. No, these, these, I mean, this show really is stories and tangents. I mean, more than anything else. And, and it's interesting too, because it's, it's the lessons learned from this stuff. It's, mm-hmm. it's okay. Well, I'm going through something like that and, mm-hmm. oh, it turns out that, you know, maybe I should go find a remote job. Or, you know, maybe somebody's in a remote job and it's like, oh, this is really hard because of the things that they're talking about. So I can go find a better one or go work in an office or something else. So with that in mind, one tangent that I actually feel is really important to talk about, um, just kind of from a career perspective. So with Constant Contact, I was in this really tough spot where I had only been there like four or five months. And I was already like, I just, I dreaded the commute. Um, I was spending literally three hours in the car every day. Oh, my man. Oh, and it was one of those, when I did the interviews, it was always during off-peak hours. So right. it, it didn't take okay. me that long. It took me like 40 minutes to get in and then 40 minutes home. I'm like, okay, this is manageable. But then commuter 
time would hit. And it was like an hour and a half, sometimes two hours of like traffic one way. And it was just miserable. I listened to a lot of podcasts, which was great, but I know a few good ones. Yeah. I, you know, I, I hear this JS Jabber thing is pretty, pretty good, but, um, (laughs) but, um, by the way, shout out to hello internet. That is the only, like that podcast is what got me through that commute. Um, but, um, I can remember like when I got that call from that old friend of mine about a job, I was, um, I'd always been kind of taught this mindset of like, you need to spend at least a year in a role before you move or you look like a job hopper. And my wife and I had a lot of conversations about it, but, um, here's the thing, like companies invest a lot of time hiring you and then a lot of time bringing you up to speed. And if you're going to leave after a year, that's a shitty return on investment for them anyways. Yes. And you know you're going to leave at that point. So you might as well just bounce earlier. Like there's no point in you dragging it out for an extra six months, nine months. If you know you're miserable and you know it's not going to work out, like you're not doing the company any favors by sticking around for that extra period of time. Um, and you're certainly not doing yourself any favors either. Um, I, I kind of came to realize that it was better for both myself and Constant Contact that I left earlier because it gave them a opportunity to get someone else in my spot sooner and bring them up to speed sooner so that after a year they weren't just starting all over again from scratch with like you know where I was um and uh they were kind of really cool about the whole thing too um I still know a handful of folks that work there and and uh, honestly like that's for me that's the biggest thing I miss about an office like just you know some of the the coolest coworkers. um but uh but yeah, like if you're in a spot where you're just really, really unhappy and you haven't been there that long, I know conventional wisdom is you have to stick around for at least a year, but um, I don't actually think that's true. Now, if you find yourself doing this at every job and you've done this like three or four times, you're probably going to have a tough time getting interviews at other places because you are going to look like someone who skips around a lot. But if it's just kind of like a once or twice thing, because you know, like as much as you try to pre-screen companies during the interview process and figure out what's a good fit, and sometimes you don't always have that luxury. You know, like you just, you need a job, you need money, you have a mortgage to pay or car payments or whatever. Um, But like, if you find yourself in like a situation that doesn't work for you or like, this wasn't my case, but like, I know some places like people find themselves in like literal toxic work environments and they didn't realize it when they got hired, like get out. Don't, don't feel like you have to stick around. Um, Yeah. I guess the one exception here is like in Silicon Valley uh, or at least San Francisco, it seems like people switch jobs every six to eight months and that's considered normal. I don't really understand that, but um, uh, the company I work at now is based out that way. And um, it just, it seems like people kind of move in and out of roles a lot, like really quickly out there. So your local situation may be different, but generally speaking. um, Yeah. I've I've talked to a number of people out there in Silicon Valley and my understanding is, is that it's extremely competitive Mm -hmm. and not competitive to get the jobs. It's competitive to get the people. Right. Yeah. so the situation, I mean, you know, you're, you're talking about a salary hike, you know, possible mm-hmm. every, every, you know, every nine months, depending yeah. on what the market's doing. And so the, the market forces there are just completely different. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like a, an alternate reality yeah. for job hunters. And, and in other ways and in other areas, it's not so much, you mm-hmm. know, and then you've got the Googles and Facebooks and stuff that offer a lot of other perks that keep their people there. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. But yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, yeah, if it, if this is your third or fourth time jumping jobs, you know, in in less than a year per job, then then maybe it's you. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, my the beginning of my career, 
I stayed in each of those jobs for a little over a year on each one. Mm-hmm. And the, the first two jobs that I left, um, well, the, I take it back because the, the first job that I left, I got laid off. Uh, uh-huh. Second job I left, I left because I couldn't deal with my boss anymore. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, you know, it, I'd been there for a little over a year and, you know, I bailed. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the next job I had after that was the same kind of thing. It was just, I, I think I got laid off from that one too. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember. It's been, it's been, I've been, I've been self-employed for eight years, <laughs> nine years. That's awesome. So, uh, it, it's been a long time, but yeah, you know, I, it, it's just the way it worked out and, uh, yeah, you know, but, yeah. but it was, it was time to leave every time I left either because they laid me off or because I quit because of the situation I was in. Yeah. One of the really, um, kind of annoying things about the way it's just kind of like work works these days is um like when you if you get promoted internally inside a company they usually have these like these pay grades and kind of these like maximum amounts they're allowed to bump your salary if you move into a new role and stuff like that so your opportunity for like salary increases and growth are much slower and more restricted and if you leave a company and go somewhere else you can reasonably expect to see a 10 to 20% jump in your salary, depending on where you're starting, obviously, like at some point, like, you know, that 20% is, is potentially an unrealistic like jump, but um, you can see much higher pay increases by jumping companies. And so a lot of times you'll see people who, if they switch jobs every year or two, um, after like four or five years, their salary can be like a lot higher than yours because they've changed externally. Whereas if you stay at a company for a while and you think you're doing the right thing and, um, but yeah, just because of kind of internal systems and structures and the way compensation departments work, especially at larger organizations, um, you can potentially be limiting yourself. And I hate to say this because if you're at like a place you'd love to work, that's a really tough kind of thing to do. Um, but I also know some people feel like they need to be loyal to a company or that that will somehow be rewarded. And um, it never is. No, like that was true for our grandparents. That is definitely not true today. Like companies even companies that seem like they're really awesome, like they will cut you in a second, especially if like it's a publicly traded company and you know, like yeah. got to drive that shareholder value, you know, like it's, um, it's just kind of a, a very weird thing. So, and I know we're talking a lot about like career stuff and it's probably the point of this show, but I just, um, I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm trying to impart on people some of the, a lot of the mistakes I made earlier on in my career, um, you know, and maybe some of the things I did right. Um, usually unintentionally. I am, um, I never have a plan. It's both my blessing and my curse. I'm a little bit of a, <laughs> um, so like my, my dad, my wife, they're very much like, I'm at point A, I see point B over there. Uh, here's the straightest line to that point. I'm going to put this plan in action. And I'm, I'm literally like, I'm like Winnie the Pooh kind of like chasing the butterfly down the wandering path and oh, here's a pot of honey. I think I'll try some of this. And, um, and you know, it's uh, like, even just like, being a web developer, that was never planned. That was just kind of a serendipitous little uh, little accident I fell into that's worked out really, really nicely for me. Um, so, you know, there's many different ways to get different places in your career. So, like, if you're someone who really likes to plan, like, go for it. Um, if you're a little bit more of a wandering soul like myself, like, things can still work out okay for you. They might not. Um, I, got, I got really lucky. Like, luck was a huge part of my career. But Yeah, but the thing is, is that we need both kinds of people in, in this mm-hmm. world, so... Yeah, for sure. Hey guys, let me tell you about Clubhouse. 
I swear, I've used every project management software there is out there, and I hated project management software. Now I have Clubhouse. Overall, it's simple and straightforward to use, but it has enough of the integrations and power features you need to get the job done without getting confusing. This means that I can use it and the non-technical members of my team can figure out what they need from it. It also makes it easy for me to zoom out and see what's going on overall before zooming back in and specifying more work that needs to be done or picking the next task for me to tackle. They integrate with all the systems that you'd expect and have a REST API for, well, the rest. If you go to https clubhouse.io slash jsstory, you can get two months free instead of the standard 14-day trial for any team size. Once again, that's https clubhouse.io slash js story anyway i'm going to rein us back in and uh, oh yes please more about uh, javascript uh, but but yeah it's, it's definitely interesting this is stuff i talk about on the dev rev all the time um which is on the youtube channel if you're interested so just go look up devchat.tv you can find it um anyway so so you get in you start building web apps you know, at what point do you, you kind of go, this JavaScript thing is, is my thing. I, I love this thing. Because, you know, back mm -hmm. in the day, JavaScript was kind of the necessary evil for building web apps. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, let's see. So when did that switch happen for me? Um, honestly, I think it was right around the time where, um, no, yes, I was going to say it was almost immediately. Like, because I... I did the, um, when I was doing this stuff, like jQuery was the way to do JavaScript on the web. And uh, I remember because I don't have a computer science degree or really a technical degree at all, I, I remember feeling like I wasn't a real developer. And so I started doing vanilla JavaScript stuff just because I wanted to understand how things worked under the hood and maybe feel more like I knew what I was talking about. Um, and, uh, and, but even then I still kind of had this bias towards like doing stuff on the server whenever you could. And like JavaScript is the last resort or like the necessary evil for certain things. Um, I guess to an extent, I still kind of feel that way. But what I, what I really like about JavaScript is the, um, the, um, the interactivity of it. Um, for me, it's like, it still continues to feel like this magic pixie dust that, takes static HTML and makes it do these absolutely amazing things. Like, um, uh, I don't know, like I, I still haven't kind of gotten bored with the idea that like with JavaScript, you can do crazy things like, um, you know, like click a button to hide or show content or like, I don't know, just things that's, that are really kind of like simple and mundane. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if I can really pinpoint a specific time, Chuck. Um, I think for me, it's just, it's always kind of been amazing. I just, I prefer a flavor of it that I, or I prefer a use of it that is maybe a little bit more, um, what am I trying to say here? Um, I love JavaScript. I feel like I always have. I just wish as developers, we used it more responsibly. Um, and so like for me, I don't know if there's ever been a time where I don't, I haven't liked using it. I just, um, I, I don't think we need to use it for all the things is probably my, my kind of hot take here. Um, gotcha. What yeah. was it that got you to the point where you were thinking, okay, I want to do JavaScript as kind of my main focus? Yeah, well, so that's actually, that's a really, um, that's a good question. So I had, um, as I was going through my quest of, um, 
And this is good because I haven't thought about this stuff in a long time. So um, as I was going through my quest of kind of learning vanilla JS, I would, um, I'd basically take anything jQuery I had done and try and convert it over. And every time I'd figure a little something out, I would throw up an article on my site. Um, and by this point I had like Renegade HR was gone and I had my current site, go make things, um, which really speaks to why I got into this field in the first place, which is that I love to make things. Right. And um, a few years ago, I, um, I looked at my analytics and I noticed that eight of the 10 most popular articles on my site were how to do X without jQuery. So it was like, you know, how to do X really easy thing in jQuery without jQuery. Um, and that seemed to be like where a huge amount of my traffic was coming from. And I was like, all right, well, people really like this. Maybe I should kind of write about this more. Mm -hmm. And it became one of these things where like the deeper into it I got, the more interesting it started to become for me. Um, whereas like, yeah, so I guess actually now if I'm thinking about your previous question, like JavaScript is one of those, one of those things where I knew how to do and I didn't mind doing it, but I wasn't really in love with it the way I was with CSS and HTML until maybe like three years ago. Um, and I think for me, it was getting a lot of questions around like, oh, hey, I do this thing in Lodash. How would you do that in VanillaJS? And like trying to figure this out. It suddenly became like a, like a puzzle that had to be solved or like a, you know, like a challenge you had to work through. Um, and, uh, and I think for me, that was really the thing that, that kind of lit me up about um, working with JavaScript. Right. Yeah. Um, I also enjoy kind of like, looking at things that frameworks do and figuring out how to do things without frameworks. It gives me a whole new appreciation for the amount of engineering behind those tools, by the way. So then are you, because you keep saying I'm the vanilla JS guy and, and this kind of gives a little different angle on it. So mm -hmm. are you anti-framework then, or do you think that there are certain cases where frameworks are used in anger or in ignorance? I don't want to say ignorance because, um, that feels too judgy for the people who use them. Yeah, fair. So, but, but you understand what I'm saying, right? Yeah. So um, I, um, I think that uh, uh, there's a few things that are happening. So I think for folks who, um, who are just getting into JavaScript for the first time, something like Vue or, um, or React works for them very much the way that jQuery did for me. It's a gateway into JavaScript that allows them to go from I know nothing to I've written something that works mm -hmm. more quickly. And I, I actually think that's a really important thing to go from I, I know nothing to I've written something that works fast. Because if you don't do that, if you spend, like for me, the, the worst JavaScript education programs are ones that spend all this time on like really boring fundamentals, but don't have you building anything that actually works because it becomes really boring and like just demotivating right. and you just, you quit. So if you go from I know nothing to I'm, I'm building something that works fast and, and that's what a framework does for you, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Um, but generally speaking, yeah, I am, I am anti-framework for most situations. I think we use as an industry um, frameworks for a lot of things where they are maybe not necessary or not the best choice. So I see frameworks just kind of it's the go-to solution for everything. Building a site that's just static content, grab a framework, even though that might be better handled with like literally a static site generator or like an old school, like PHP templating type thing, like WordPress or something else. Um, it's just, you know, like, like everything is, is framework driven. Um, 
or um, even like really simple apps that have like super lightweight state to them. Um, loading 30 kilobytes of JavaScript framework to do like a really simple kind of JavaScript based web app often seems like overkill. And um, for me, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a situation where I feel like um, while there are some benefits to using these tools, there's a lot of downsides, particularly for the end user um, in terms of kind of performance and the amount of code you're having to load and kind of additional like dependencies and breakpoints where things can fail or go wrong. Um, so I, I acknowledge that there are situations where these tools are beneficial or potentially even good, but I think those situations are far and few between and, um, or is it few and far between? Few and far between and um, potentially overstated. Um, I think the best use cases for them are actually a server-side templating tools. Um, so like Netflix, for example, does this where the initial page views are rendered on the server with Node and server-side based React, and then everything that happens after that is handled with Vanilla.js. Interesting. Yeah. Um, some of the common arguments I hear in favor of frameworks are like, you know, things like, um, uh, well, you know, they, they force structure in terms of the way we code, or they eliminate a whole slew of decisions we have to make. And um, I, I guess that's potentially true. Those strike me more as like internal or organizational issues than like code-based ones though. Um, and I think for me, that's a big part of the problem. A lot of the things we kind of rely on these tools for feel like people issues rather than like code issues, but we just throw engineering at the problem because we're developers and that's kind of what we know and we're comfortable with. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's interesting the way you put it because, um, yeah, I mean, that when I got into uh, frameworks, the first one I got into was Backbone. Mm -hmm. and that I liked about Backbone was, yeah, it told me where to put all the stuff mm -hmm. like Rails did because um, I was a you know big time rails guy yeah but the flip side is is that if you set up a mechanism for that and clearly communicate it to your team mm -hmm. and that's the only benefit you're getting from the framework you don't need the framework yeah I am um, I guess the the other argument here too is like as much as these tools enforce some structure on you um, they still have an absurd amount of flexibility within them like mm -hmm. um, you know view allows you to use um, you know string-based templates or JSX or I think the most common use is people use kind of the HTML attribute API that they have hooked in, but you're not locked into that. You can use a bunch of different right. kind of patterns. You can mix and match them. Um, and so you could look at that tool and be like, well, it forces us to use this pattern, but it really doesn't. You can use a bunch of different, different patterns there if you want. Um, and there's some rigidity there, but, um, but not, I, I guess maybe not as much as, um, as people seem to think they are or think there is. Um, yeah, so I, I guess generally speaking, I am, um, am anti-framework, um, but I'm not, um, I've tried to make a really big point of not being anti-people who use them. Um, I actually right. wrote about this recently because a lot of times like we feel very attached to our tools as a community. And when I, when I, I, when I talk about tools, I actually use the phrase bad for the web. So I will often say that I feel like the way we use JavaScript today is, is bad for the web, it's hurting the web, it's breaking the web. And um, people who use these tools take that, and understandably take that very personally and be very upset, um, I think with kind of the perception that 
I'm either saying that they know there are issues with these tools and use them anyways, which would make them horrible people, or um, they don't understand what the problem is, which would make them negligent. And uh, I don't necessarily think it's either of those things. I, I think it's just, you know, like plenty of people look at these tools and come to a different conclusion than I do. And I'm, I'm okay with that. I think kind of these debates and discussions are healthy for the web. But um, yeah, sorry, to answer your original question, yes, I am anti-framework. Um, uh, I think we're overcomplicating the way we build for the web in most cases, and there's simpler, um, easier ways to do things. Yep. Well, and I, I think it's an interesting, you know, because understanding this and then talking about vanilla JS, you know, it, it's definitely interesting because it's like, it's not just, oh, well, you don't need a framework. It's also, hey, this is how you can do this in JavaScript and simplify things. Mm -hmm. And so it's a move towards simplicity more than a move away from specific tools. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I, I've started using the term gatekeeping more. Um, one of the things I've found with, with a lot of these tools, um, and uh, not all of them are, are guilty of this. Like I think Vue has done a really nice job making what they built like super accessible for people who are just getting into this. But I find that a lot of the tooling around the web today um, makes it really hard for people who are just learning or people who are teaching themselves like I did to get started at all. Um, um, you know, particularly when you, you read kind of documentation or tutorials that are like just dot, dot, dot. And then here's <laughs> I eight, love those. Complicated, you know, eight complicated things. They're really easy for me because I've been doing this for years, but yeah. um, you know, you beginner, they're not. Um, you know, like have you ever seen that thing like how to draw an owl and it's like draw three circles and then like draw the rest of the owl and it goes from like this super simple shape to like a nice really. Yeah. It's, it's, it feels a little bit like that. It's like just open terminal run NPMI, um, you know, on this package JSON file and install these eight dependencies. And it just, yeah, it just, it feels like a lot. Um, you know, in any of these tools that are kind of considered like must have today, it's always felt to me like the overhead usually outweighs the benefits of using them. So um, I guess just to like, by way of example, um, uh, so CSS and JavaScript is kind of this growing in popularity a little bit. And um, Nicholas Gallagher, who used to work in Twitter engineering, shared some stats about um, Twitter's move to a CSS and JS solution where they had been loading 630 kilobytes of CSS before they moved to this setup. And now with this new setup that kind of figures out what's needed on this page and only loads that, they're down to 30, which is a really, really, really impressive, like jump in, in file size. Like that's a huge reduction in file size. Mm -hmm. um, and the engineering behind making something like that happen is super impressive. But there's a part of me that, that kind of wonders why a UI as simple as Twitter's would have needed 630 kilobytes of CSS in the first right. place. And the output of CSS and JavaScript is that each of, um, each of the different properties on a component kind of has its own class that's got this really short class name and, um, and they kind of get mixed and matched like Legos on different components. And um, that's, a technique, that's a technique that's existed as just plain old CSS for years called object-oriented CSS. Um, it, was, uh, it was created by uh, Nicole Sullivan, also known as Stubbornella. And, um, you know, it's something that you don't need to use all this JavaScript to do. You can just write your CSS that way. 
Um, and here I am using the just word that I hate, but you can write your CSS that way um, <laughs> and eliminate a whole set of tooling, eliminate the need to know JavaScript to do the styling for a component. Right. Um, and still keep your file size down. And, and, you know, so like every time I look at one of these new tools, I think that like they have some really interesting use cases and they're super impressive, but that there's simpler ways to do those things that already exist. And I acknowledge that this may just be that people are trying to solve problems that I don't have. But um, I also hear from enough people who find this all horribly overwhelming and confusing that um, I feel like I may be onto something. Right. So what are you working on now? Uh, let's see. So I just finished recording videos for the last of my vanilla JavaScript guides. Um, I had written these eBooks, about eight of them, a um, couple of years ago. And then I got enough people asking me if there was like video course versions available that I started working on those. Um, and I just filmed the last one a couple of weeks ago. So I'm trying to figure out what the next one is going to be. Um, I have a, I have a short list. Um, I'm just not sure which one I'm going to tackle next. Um, and then the other thing I've been doing is I run this um, remote based um, or project based kind of virtual training program. Um, it's this eight week long thing that has like a fixed start and end time where each week people get um, some lessons and I throw some projects at them. And at the end of the week, we get together for an office hours and talk through kind of what they did and how it worked and what didn't work and you know how to work through problems. Um, so I'm, um, I'm starting to put more, um, more of a focus on that because um, right. uh, it seems to have really resonated with people. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, is there anything else you wanted to dive into before we do picks? Uh, no, I don't think so. If people want to find your stuff online or see what your courses are about or uh, yeah. otherwise give you money one way or the other, how do they do that? Yeah, the, uh, the easiest place is to head over to gomakethings.com. Um, I have like eight different vanilla JS related sites these days for different things. And that's probably the easiest place to get to all of them. Um, you can also find my email address and Twitter if you want to tell me I suck or whatever. Um, and um, yeah, yeah, that's probably that's that's my home for all things me on the web. So gomakethings.com. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, one thing I probably should also mention too. So if, if this topic of like doing things a little bit more simply on the web interests you, I have a, uh, a newsletter that I send out every weekday. It's really short. Um, just kind of has like a little tip or trick or awesome thing I found around this topic. And um, you can go sign up at gomakethings.com. Awesome. Yeah, definitely check that out too, folks. All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, do some picks. You know the drill on picks. Do you have some picks for us? I do. I um, I kind of forgot that was a thing with this one, and I didn't do uh, a ton of um, thinking about this ahead of time. But um, if I had to pick one thing that like really, really resonated with me over the last few weeks, um, Bruce Lawson gave a talk at um, a recent um, a recent event called Accessibility Back to the Future. Um, where he talked all about how um, how the way actually it kind of dovetails nicely with what we've just been talking about, but um, he talked a lot about how a lot of the ways we're doing things today are actually breaking a lot of the accessibility that was baked into the web from the start, and how going back to some of these older techniques can actually make the web more usable for more people. Um, so I would um, I would highly recommend that. Um, and then, um, 
Yeah, I guess that's really, that's probably actually my only pick for this one. Um, I, uh, I've been so heads down with, uh, with coding stuff recently that I haven't, um, haven't really picked up. Oh, no, actually, you know what? I'm sorry. One more. I finally got around to watching um, Ralph Wrecks the Internet um, <laughs> movie. And uh, it, I don't know if I just went in with low expectations. I didn't really love Wreck-It Ralph. But um, Ralph Wrecks the Internet has so much heart, has such a, like, an important kind of lesson at the end. It just really, like, hit me in the feels in a way that I was not expecting. So um, if you haven't seen that one yet, that's my second pick. It's, it's a fun movie. I enjoyed that one. Yeah. But I, I also really enjoyed the first one, so I don't know what's wrong with you, Chris. But yeah, I did, it's not that I didn't like it. It's just it's not my favorite. I'm like a huge Pixar nut, and Wreck It Ralph falls, um, I think, like maybe in my bottom third of Pixar movies. Not that I think it's bad. It's just I think there's so many others that I like more. So. That's fair. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what I've got for picks because I blew my wad on the last episode that I just recorded mm-hmm. an hour or so ago. Um, I mean, so I guess this last weekend or yeah, this last week I was traveling, I was in San Francisco um, and some things that really I enjoyed about that. Um, one was that I've been, I've been training for a marathon and I think I've talked about that on some of the shows, but uh, I decided that I was going to go run along the bay, right? <laughs> Cause I was staying on Fisherman's Wharf. I was literally like a block from, from the bay. Was that really cold? That feels like that would have been really cold. So the first day I ran, it was, it was fine. It was a little bit cold, but not bad. The second day, the second day I ran, which was Saturday. Oh my gosh. It was raining a little bit and it was freezing. Mm-hmm. It was so dang cold, but uh, it, it felt so good. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to kind of, I'm going to pick running along San Francisco Bay because it was just, it was fun. It was really fun. Nice. Um, I also hiked up to Coit Tower, um, which, you know, if you go up in it, you can kind of see around to the, 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 see around the city and stuff like that. And that was also really cool. So, nice. um, of course, it was supposed to be my rest day and my rest day, I just walk. Yeah. <laughs> not hike up this giant hill. <laughs> now, San Francisco has so many awesome things though. And it's like, it's not really set up as a walking city just because no. of all the hills, but Last time I was out there, I did the same thing. I just walked around. I gave myself a terrible blister, but I just like, I walked all over. Because for me, being on foot is the nicest way to see a city. Yep. And then um, I'm also, the, the last thing is, is I'm going to shout out. So today is um, my wife and I, our 14th wedding anniversary. Wow. And, congrats. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to pick marriage because <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Still doing it, folks. Still doing it. She's still here. So <laughs> for some reason. I don't completely understand it, but yeah. Uh, no, I'll um I'll second that. Married life is a married life is a great thing. Anyway, um, so yeah, so those are my picks, and uh, thanks for coming, Chris. No, thanks for having me, Charles. This is great. All right, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. You can catch Chris every week on JavaScript Jabber, and we will be back next week with another my JavaScript story. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.